is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 452, recorded on Tuesday, October the 8th, 2019. Oh, there is a spring in your step today, Chris Fairhurst. Is there? Do you think so? There is. I think. You sound a little more delighted than usual. Well, I am, because, well, we're here to talk about the main show, The Walking Dead proper. It's finally back for season 10. Mm-hmm. And frankly, let's be honest, everyone, we don't have to talk about Fear the Walking Dead for a while. As soon as the opening shot, which was strange, and we'll get to that, but the opening shot, it was like a breath of fresh air. It, it like, was. Oh, it's so much better than that other crap we've been watching. I've watched one second <laughs> of this, and I'm enjoying it better already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome back, everybody. I say that because I know we do have a number of listeners who don't stick with us through the off season from the walking dead. Uh, some people just don't watch fear or, you know, to be fair, they have other podcasts to listen to. And I totally get that. So I would like to welcome everyone back who hasn't been listening for a while. It is great to be here. We're ready to talk about season 10, you know, season nine was, I thought the best that the show has been in a few years. So I was, I've very much been looking forward to season 10 and it is indeed exciting to be back to talk about it. Um, so just in case you are a new listener or you started listening to us while we were covering the recent season of fear, um, this format is going to be a little bit different. We don't just kind of talk about the episode in general. What we do for the main show is a detailed scene by scene recap of it and just kind of yep. provide thoughts as we go along. It's sort of like a uh, commentary track by uh, two random dudes on the internet. Yeah, a little bit like that. Ex- exactly. Um, and it's, instead of like producers and actors and people involved in the production, it's just these two guys. They talk about the show <laughs> as it's two ran- know, in real, almost real time, R- random morons, the internet Well, slower than real time because the show is 45 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever. And our podcasts are usually an hour and a half. So yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Funny how that happens. Um, But you know, we, we started, we changed the format up for our fear coverage just to try something different and then kind of stuck with it. But we've always come back to the, the recap format for the main walking dead show. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, so, you know, welcome everyone back. If you're a new listener, Welcome. I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. And of course, always don't feel, uh, don't be afraid to send in your feedback to our email address, which is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, all right. So I think without further ado, let's dive right into season 10, episode one, Lines We Cross. I'm a little disappointed mm-hmm. that no one sent a title read for it, but I get it. You know, the schedule changes. We're recording on a Tuesday instead of Thursday. So maybe people weren't used to that, uh, you know, recording night. Yeah. It's like the first day of school and you show up without a pencil. It's like, damn it. <laughs> Should have had a pencil. It's the one thing I need. Maybe something to write on, but yeah. pencil's important too. You've had the summer off. You get back to school. You're sitting down at the desk. You should have brought a pencil. Yeah, it's true. Anyways, no title read, uh, but I'm sure that will change for next week. And for now, though, 
Um, the episode is called Lines We Cross, which is the title of one of the arcs in the comic. Oh, is it? In case anyone was uh, confused about that, yeah. And and the, sh- the show has been doing that for a long time. They, they use titles from the comic all the time. Even the pilot was called something, right? Uh, yes, it was. It had a name, <laughs> but it was the first. Uh, it was one of the uh, one of the the arcs in the in the comics as well. Damn it! It I was. Have it was researched sure. my brain a little bit more. Well, it's before. it's you know you could have done that. It was called Days Gone By. That's the one. That's the one. Thank you, Chris. Yes. I knew that uh, you would be able to fill in the gaps in my brain. It was pretty quick there. You do it so well. Well, Lines We Cross is written by Angela Kang, who is, of course, the current showrunner and has been killing it for a season now, in my opinion. And it was directed by Greg Nicotero, who, you know, most of you will know as, well, executive producer and head of special effects. And lately, to be honest, you, you know, regular director. He's done a bunch of episodes as a director now. And he tends to do some of the bigger ones, like premieres, finales, stuff like that. Yeah. So they get the, they get the band back together and they get all the core people uh, and they all do their thing and bang it out. Totally. The episode, the ratings for the episode have been released already. And despite all the excitement from me and from everybody else, the number of millions of viewers for this episode was, I'm afraid, the lowest in show history. <laughs> oh, that's Fear's problem. That's their fault, though. Not their problem, but their fault. Yeah, but Fear gets about, well, currently about one quarter of the viewers of... No, but the quality of the show is so bad that it's affected this show now. Oh, maybe. Uh, this episode got four million, right on the dot, four million viewers, which is not a lot below... Um, the, what they've been getting, uh, in season nine, you know, for example, season nine, episode 15 had 4.15. So not that many. It's still nothing to sneeze at. I mean, there's some big shows out there that get one point some odd million and they're happy with that. Oh, totally. And there's some that are, well, plenty of shows below a million, right? Yeah. Um, the season nine, uh, finale, the storm had 5.02 million. So we're down about a million for this premiere. Just so you can uh, compare, the season nine premiere had 6.08 million, so about 2 million more. Um, So, yeah, I mean, 4 million, like you said, nothing to sneeze at, but it does happen to be the lowest number of viewers for any episode of The Walking Dead in nine seasons plus one. Yeah. Too bad they don't give us a breakdown of those numbers. Like how many blondes versus brunettes? (laughs) How many bald guys? uh, How many jerks? Like you had uh, 4 million viewers, uh, you know, 3.5 million of them were jerks. Uh, so you get, you could really understand the quality of a show based on, you know, demographics like that. I suppose you could. They do maybe, break. Maybe not so much blonde brunette, but, you know, jerk or versus assholes. I guess so. That may be subjective though, but they do break it down by, you know, 18 to, oh God, what is it? 18 to 45 or something to, like that. Yeah. 18 to 49, like whatever. I don't have that in front of me, but at the end of the day, 4 million, lowest in Walking Dead history. I'm not going to worry about it because those are 4 million dedicated people. And let's be honest, 4 million people who watched a pretty damn fine episode, in my opinion. And I wasn't one of them. So I'm not in that demographic. I watched it on iTunes, which is not counted in that number. It's true. Right? I bought the season on iTunes and uh, I watched it as soon as it was available 
on iTunes. Right, got it. So I'm I'm not in that number. I've seen the show. Just rest assured, Chris. I've I've seen the actual episode. That's good. I'm glad you're not going to be just watching along for the first time while I yeah. while we do this. It's bound to happen someday. You know, it's been ten years now, and I haven't I have yet to not watch the actual Walking Dead. <laughs> I've not watched other stuff uh-huh. that now is ingrained in my memory, uh-huh. but uh, I have yet to not watch the show. Some some of them have been close. I've watched this episode previously to this. Well, let's dive into it then. Uh, We open with what I consider a rather surprising first shot because we start in outer space uh, and a satellite, in fact, a Soviet satellite is passing across the earth and uh, it doesn't look like it's in great shape, but it just kind of flies by at this point. Well, let me ask you this. Uh How does a satellite get dirty? Um, Space debris. Space dust, I guess. Yeah. It's been, it would have to be out there for a very long time. Space dust goes by very, very quickly. So space dust not just, doesn't just make you dirty. Space bus, they, space dust creates holes. Yes. Because it's, they're flying by at, you know, more than Mach 800 and, uh, <laughs> they, you know, puncture little holes. So it's my first nitpick. I'm sorry, everybody, but, uh, this is a dirty satellite and there's no reason for it to be dirty. I mean, broken down, fine. Uh, pieces missing, fine, but dirty? I don't think so. Well, whatever. I was just surprised that we started in space. You know? Oh yeah, that's just odd. I'm, for half a, well, for a, more than a second, I'll, I'll admit for more than a second, I thought I was watching the wrong show. Yep. I didn't know whether it was my fault or iTunes fault, uh, but I thought somewhere along the line, there was a breakdown in what was getting to my eyeballs. Uh, I didn't, because it was so surprising. I agree with you. It just, it, it seemed like. This can't be the walking dead. They don't do space crap. Apparently they do. But yeah, now they do. All right. Well, then the next thing we see is a big black title card that says training day. And of course we get a bunch of these title cards as the episode goes on. But this first one is training day, I guess. And we cut to a driftwood zombie coming out of the water. Uh, Judith appears and she takes it out with her mini katana and to be honest, looking very much like Michonne while she's standing there and she even flicks the blood off of it like we've seen Michonne do. Wakasashi, it's not a mini katana. Uh, Sorry, to me it's a mini katana. What's it called? Wakasashi. Isn't that just a mini katana? It is, but that's the name of it. All right, I'm sorry. Not mini katana. I'll try to remember that, but I'll bet you the next time I need to recall that word, I'm not going to remember it. So All right. you're here to, to, um, keep that, to correct me. Yeah. Now I, in this scene, one thing I really liked is how they use the waves crashing into the camera as sort of cut points. I don't know if you noticed that, but wave hits camera, you know, cut to another angle of the zombie or something like that. I thought it was a sort of a clever thing to do. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Kind of neat. Uh, now we see most of our familiar characters are they're on the beach, uh, near Oceanside, of course, and they're in kind of a military formation. There's a row of people with shields up front and Aaron is leading them. Daryl seems to be sort of supervising from the side, you know, everybody's around and they approach a beached boat where Ezekiel starts releasing zombies, Ezekiel and Jerry. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, they use various tactics to kill these zombies. First, the archers, uh, then spears. Alden throws a javelin, which was fun. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. That was pretty cool. Um, You know, Michonne, Magna, and Luke, they take a few out. 
And um, there's a shot where Michonne slices three zombies in slow motion. And I thought this was one of the single best shots in 10 years of this show. It was really cool. This whole scene I thought was really neat. I thought the tactics were solid. Uh, you know, very, um, you know, classic Greek mm-hmm. kind of thing. The uh, the Spartans with their shields, uh, you know, creating a shield wall. And from behind the shield wall, you have spears. And behind that, you have some kind of uh, ranged weapon, either javelins or uh, later on, it was archers. Yeah. Right. So I, I thought the tactics were uh, really well done. I just, uh, personally, I think the shields probably could have been a little taller. Because, uh, you know, you get a zombie right up next to that shield, uh, they can reach your face. So They can, but the, the zombie would have to sort of reach over. I mean, I know, like, would you prefer if the shields were in front of their face and they were looking through them somehow? Well, they have windows in them, yeah. right? The, like the, the shields that they have, they're made out of barrels, so they're, uh, they're limited to the size of the barrel, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but if they were taller, like true door shields, they're the size of a door, um, and with a, you know, a slit in it where you can see, mm-hmm. uh, so that it's hard to reach around to get to you. Whereas these ones seemed a little easier to get to the, you know, to the, to, to the meaty part of your head, uh, relatively easily. I got so a- that was my only complaint of, of the shields, but the shields looked awesome. I, w- I want one of these shields. How do you, how do you get one of these shields? They I did. don't want to have to cut a barrel open, but I'd, uh, you know, if somebody made one of those out of some kind of foam rubber. I'd, I'd pay for it. They did look really, really cool. And I got to think though, like a full door size shield is great against a human who's got a rational brain, right? Who knows that if, if you're not uh, fully covered by it, they can sort of reach over around. Against a zombie, I don't see it as quite as important because the zombie is just going to like walk into it pretty much. So they're pretty reachy. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they're reachy, but any, and also you got to use what you have available, right? And they obviously have barrels with spikes on them available and that's what they got. Yeah. And wood. They have lots of woodworkers. They can make these shields out of wood. There's no reason for them to be metal. I suppose so wood would be true. heavier, right? They yeah. can make them out of plastic. Yeah, I guess so. Right? Get the riot shields from, uh, uh, from a prison or, uh, some kind of SWAT team. Those would be perfect. They're just, they're made out of plastic because they're meant to stop rocks and stuff. Or like, uh. Carbon, carbon fiber or something, aren't they? So it's yeah. light and hard. Probably. Yeah. But they're probably higher techs and, uh, let's melt down some plastic bags and make it into a round shape and put some handles on it. <laughs> yeah, probably. In any case, I thought these looked cool. I thought the whole scene was, was really cool to be honest with you. And, and just the way they were, the way they were practicing, because this was a training thing, right? As the title card said, but obviously also pretty good at what they were doing. This isn't the first time they'd done this. They'd thought it through. They, they had a system to it. And I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Natalie from just outside Detroit, but who's not a Detroiter said, Oh my God, did you see that awesome shot with Michonne on the beach? Shout out to the camera people, directors, editors, and whoever else is in charge of the awesome shots we got last night. Uh, and Natalie's referring to that slow-mo scene I brought up with, with Michonne. I thought it was so cool the way she yep. takes down three zombies, slices all three of their heads in half, basically. And it was done in slow-mo, the blood splattered across, not on the camera, but like across the frame in front of the camera uh-huh. and the way her, her dreads swung around in the air. I loved it. I thought it was so cool. 
It was pretty good. This whole scene reminded me of, uh, I think it was the beginning of season two when uh, the group of people were uh, clearing a house and there was no audio. Yes. And everybody just went in and cleared that whole house and it just, it gave you, uh, you know, a, a sense of time has passed uh, and they've become competent in their skill sets. Right. So this was very reminiscent of that for me. Yeah, totally. It's, and, and I, I completely agree with that. You know, the team was, they were working together. They were efficient. They were well trained. Like I said, this wasn't the first time they'd done this. They had been practicing this. And one of the more impressive things to watch is people in a show, you know, executing their job well. And I really yep. enjoy that. And I, that this scene captured that for me quite a bit. Uh, and it was just a spectacular way to open the season, in my opinion. You know, yeah. it's, it was exciting and fun and I loved it. Um, but as it goes on, the, um, the zombies in the boat kind of get the better of Ezekiel and Jerry, right? And they end up breaking down the whole wall, which yeah, I thought was- Yeah, that's my enter- second nitpick. No, come on. It was entertaining. They well, all they come out of the boat. They were rattling the door. They were like, they were rattling the door and the door was coming off the hinges and they're like, oh my God, we can't hold them back. The door won't close. And then the whole wall falls down. Yeah. It was, no, the door broke, not the wall coming down. If the wall was coming down, don't show the door rattling off its hinges. Yeah, but, well, fine, that's a fair point. But the the boat was so dilapidated that it was just rotting into nothing, right? And I guess they should have known that ahead of time, but I can... They should be, they should be herding the zombies into a pen and then opening and closing it. If they need the zombies, why go find random bunch of zombies? Why not collect them? Mm-hmm. Right. There's been, you know, over the years, we've had a myriad of ways of collecting zombies, you know, uh, a wind chime that, uh, lures the zombies into a pit. Right. Didn't the governor do that? Oh yeah. He was getting them in, into pits. You're right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you're right. They know how to collect zombies at this point. That's for sure. So, you know, why look for dilapidated boats when, uh, with doors that are falling off their hinges and whole walls that are insecure that you don't notice. Why not uh, herd them all together in uh, some kind of safe pen that you know you can control for training? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But maybe they, I mean, maybe they wanted to clean out this boat anyways. So they used their, they used this situation as a training exercise, you know? I'm going to put my cynical hat on just for a second and then I'm going to take it off and I'll leave it off. My cynical hat is they needed a piece of drama. They needed it to not just be training. They needed it to go out of control and be real for a few minutes to show that they can still, uh, be effective when it's not just training. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. Cynical hat off. Okay, good. Well, that's what happens. Michonne yells about staying in formation and remembering your training. You know, she yells, she screams this out to everybody and, uh, throughout this thing, they use this neat technique where sort of the people on the front with the shields quickly separate. Another person jumps through, kills a zombie and then falls back and the shields close up again. And I just loved it. I I really enjoyed watching this. That's a, that's a, that's a tried and tested, uh, shield wall tactic Mm -hmm. where you open up gaps in the shield so you can pokey pokey and then uh, close up the gaps again. Yeah. Well, they did. If they had a lot more shields, like the Spartans did in their uh, in their in their groups, they would actually create not only a shield wall, but this whole bubble 
mm-hmm. right? Like all the way around, there would be shields, and then people in uh, behind those first shields guy would put their shields up to create a, a gap, and they would just fill off this whole thing where the whole it was just a shield bubble that would move around the battlefield. Uh, so that would that would be incredibly effective, but very difficult to do, and not really good against mortar fire. So it's not really used in modern tactics. Yeah, sure, but against zombies. Seems like a pretty good approach. Yeah. And spears. And spears. Good against spears. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we cut to Oceanside after that, uh, at, after that battle, we're, we're back in the forest and people are doing things. They're carving fish, you know, lots of stuff going on. Luke is there and he's chatting with a woman, kind of flirting with her, of course. What do you mean? Kind of. Oh yeah. They, they. I mean- admit it openly. Yeah. <laughs> she's flirting. She's, she flirts right back. And her name is Julie. Yeah. Or Jules. I appreciate that when, uh, when someone is forthright like that. Yeah. Are you flirting with me? Yes, I'm flirting with you. Yeah. You know, well, deal with it. <laughs> I found, I thought it was adorable to be quite honest with you. I, oh, it's great. I like it. Yeah. That's my, that's my preferred way of uh, finding out that someone's interested in me. They tell me. Good. That's not anymore. I mean, I'm married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully your wife tells you once in a while she's still interested in you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Good. No, we're good. So they're, they're chatting, flirting. Daryl and Michonne walk past. They're talking about the training. Uh, Daryl mentions that Tara would be proud. Of course, that's a reminder that Tara is no longer with us. Uh, and they just, they seem happy in general as they're chatting. We cut over to Jerry and his kids. And of course, Judith and RJ, and they're playing with some shells they collected on the beach. Back up one second. They yeah. were running down the beach away from what looks exactly like the SS Minnow. From Gilligan's Island. Do you think it's a reference? I, I don't see how it couldn't be. Like the, the boat was beached. It had, it looked exactly the same as the SS Minnow. Okay. In my memory. So I thought that was a, that was a neat thing. That's fun. Greg, I could. Greg Nicotero wouldn't put a boat there if he wasn't referencing Gilligan's Island. I could see, you know, I heard that there was a reference to Jaws in this episode, but I don't know exactly what it was. So I wonder if that boat wasn't the SS Minnow, but was the boat from Jaws. It could be. It didn't really look like that to me. Did anybody say we're going to need a bigger boat? That's probably the biggest no. reference. I don't believe was, anyone actually said that. I think that line was ad-libbed in Jaws. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Some of the best lines were in the history of films, you know, ad-libbed. Yeah. I, I love you. I know. I know. Yeah. That was ad-libbed. That's pretty good. Good times. <laughs> uh, okay, so we see the SS Minnow and or the boat from Jaws, and then the kids are playing with the shells they collected, but in the bucket they brought back, they find a Whisperer mask. Who put the mask in the bucket? Like, they weren't just scooping up random chunks of sand, right? They were, like, picking stuff up off the beach and putting it in the bucket. How did that happen? You know, maybe they were using a shovel, and they just shoveled up some sand and poured it in, and nobody noticed. But I get it. Maybe one of the younger kids grabbed it. Yeah. And didn't know. RJ's pretty little. Yeah. You know, young kids are bound to grab all kinds of stuff. Right. That they probably shouldn't. But Judith recognizes what it is. And uh, we go to the opening credits. Now, the opening credits are a little bit different than last year, of course. I think the most notable change is a shot of Rick blowing up the bridge. Uh, Yep. Um, There's, I think there's a few other... Little There's changes. a line of uh, the, the the stakes with the heads on them. Yeah, that's right. That's that's pretty notable too, I guess. Um, but overall, they're similar. 
uh, or mostly the same to last year. But I, I, it just reminded me how much I enjoy these credits over what we had for uh, eight years previous. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was very cathartic to have these credits. It was it felt it felt good. It did feel good. After opening credits, we come back with a new title card. It is Skin. And of course, it's referring to the skin mask they found. But we start with Aaron on the radio. He's talking to Father Gabe, and he wants Alexandria to go on lockdown because they've found a Whisperer mask, and they're thinking that the Whisperers are back. But Michonne says, no, just stay on alert. We don't want to cause a lot of panic. Uh, And Aaron doesn't seem to really agree with her. Um, So Michonne says they'll get a group, they'll go out, and we see the group on horseback heading out to patrol the area to see what's going on, to see if they can find any other masks or just, you know, find any whisperers hanging around the area. Right. So horse riding, very much like the uh, settlers or the pioneers or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, last season we gave up on vehicles on this show. So we have a lot of horse riding and that's, you know, the way it should be. I'm just saying that uh, in the last show, we had horse riders were bad guys, and now the horse riders are good guys. Oh, I see. It's confusing. I don't, well, not that confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I only have a little brain. Okay, that's fair. Uh, They split up, and we've got Aaron and Michonne going together. We've got Yumiko and Magna going together, and Luke and Alden going off together. Those Those are the three pairs. First, we follow Aaron and Michonne. And as they ride, they're talking about whether or not they're the good guys. At least Aaron is is bringing that up. And he thinks that they might be the villain of somebody else's story, which is kind of a funny conversation to have because it's the kind of thing we've talked about. And I'm sure other viewers of the show have talked about because it's a matter of perspective. And I thought it was a little bit uh, hammy to include it actually in the show. But at the same time, this probably is the, kind of thing that you might think about if you were in this situation, like, are we doing the right thing kind of question? Yeah, I think I've, you know, it's been a while since I've thought about, uh, you know, for a long time thinking about good guys, bad guys. I've had a lot of media where there's good guys and bad guys, because it seems like every story has good guys and bad guys. And now we're starting to blur the lines of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, really, Mm -hmm. right? When you have shows like Dexter, where he's obviously the bad guy, but he's the protagonist and damn it, if you don't want him to not get caught yeah, killing people all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've been thinking about it and I think I know the difference between good guys and bad guys now. Okay. If you're uh, the good guys, okay, imagine you tell me if this is a good guy thing or a bad guy thing. Uh, you're doing something that somebody told you to do and you decide that you don't like it. Uh, can you just say, fuck it, I quit and leave? And if you can leave, those are the good guys. If right. You, if you can't leave, if you're, if they hunt you down and kill you, or if they don't, if you say, I don't like this, and then they put your face to a fire, then uh, chances are they're the bad guys. So it has to do with uh, freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if there's, a, if you have a choice, then you're with the good guys. All right. Fair. Well, Aaron is questioning this, and I would say that for the most part, all of our characters do have that freedom of choice, do they not? Maggie left, right? Yeah. There, nobody's hunting her down. No. They're like, true. I wish we heard from her, but she's off doing another television show. So <laughs> we haven't heard from her for a while. And we get that. Yeah. And that's fine, uh-huh. right? 
but she left. That's okay. So you're saying that these are the good guys? Yeah. Rick left. <laughs> they think he's dead, but <laughs> yeah, he left. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's not really the same. All right. Well, anyway, that's just my, my current take on what a good guy is versus what a bad guy is. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, and that, that makes some sense. I keep wanting to bring up uh, Fear the Walking Dead. So that's what, uh, uh, what's her name? Gabby? No. The leader of the- Ginny. Ginny. So her problem is that you're not allowed to leave. Right. right? right. Whereas the, they're not giving anybody a choice. That makes them a bad guy. Whereas uh, the good guys have choice. Yep. Anyway. So uh, yeah. So they have this conversation where whether the other good guys are the bad guys. And I think it's moot because they're the good guys. Right. But Aaron is just struggling with- generally sort of what, what they do, you know, and they come to a bridge, there's some walkers on it and he just automatically charges ahead to kill them. He starts fighting them, gets into some trouble. And of course, Michonne rides up and and saves him. And she mentions that this is, if not a whisperer border, it's close to one. And also that she lost Rick on a bridge. So this is a bit of an emotional moment for her. And, you know, Aaron says he's sick of being nice, um, but Michonne wants to reiterate that they have to be smart. And she mentions that the Whisperers have a nuclear weapon and that they have to do what they need to keep people alive. And if that's not infringing on Whisperer territory for now, then that's what they have to do. So is she referring to the Horde? Well, let me read this uh, email from Christian in Spokane. Uh, Christian says, holy crap, did you understand what Michonne meant when she told Aaron that the Whisperers have a nuclear weapon? I know she didn't mean it literally, but can't quite make sense of what she is conveying with that line. And yeah, it's it's the Horde. It's all the zombies they control. That's their nuclear weapon because they can unleash it on them basically whenever they want. Yeah, okay. Well, you can counter that. That's not a big deal. They've been doing that for years. Right. But that's my whole problem with the whispers. We started the whole, the whole episode with the shot of a, uh, an old Russian satellite. Maybe she knows that they have an actual nuclear weapon and they know how to detonate it. No. I, that's actually ridiculous, but it's possible now. <laughs> we have satellites. Why not nuclear weapons? We've had, I'm bringing up the other show again. I got to stop it. They had a nuclear power plant in the last show. Uh, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't have a nuclear weapon. And look how that went. I'm pretty sure this show is not going to <laughs> delve into something as dumb as that. But um, no, she's referring to the massive horde of zombies that the Whisperers control. And she's worried that if they brought them all down on Alexandria at once, for example, they would just flatten the place. They'd tear the place apart. I think it's a little hyperbolic for her to call it a nuclear weapon. I think it's 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 definitely a threat, but it's not the threat to end all threats. Well, I mean, what else, what else are you going to threaten someone with, though, than like a thousand or ten no, thousand that, zombies? That's fine, but I don't think that it's the nuclear option, right? It's not the nuclear weapon. It just doesn't rise to that level of uh, the absolute threat. But what else? Like, what else would there be? Well, no, that's what I'm talking about. Sorry, just I think we're just missing. Uh, uh, miscommunicating a little bit here. So I'm happens. not talking about what the threat is. I'm talking about calling the threat a nuclear weapon is a little bit much. What what I'm saying is it's analogy. The 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 um the worst weapons in current society are nuclear based weapons. They cause the most destruction yeah. and are are just 
the worst. They can kill the most number of people. And in the zombie apocalypse, the absolute worst weapon you could deploy would be a 10,000 zombie strong herd. So she's just making the comparison between like in the old world, the, the most damaging weapon you can have is nuclear. And here, the most damaging weapon you can have is a big herd of zombies. Yeah. Okay. So I, I see that. But if you replace zombies with bears, you're not going to call it a nuclear weapon. You're going to be like, that guy has a lot of fucking bears. <laughs> right? Hey, if you can, <laughs> if you can somehow control a herd of 10,000 bears, good on you. You, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I think maybe we disagree just slightly, but that's okay. All right. Well, we can move on. Christian finished uh, the email with whatever it is, the communities have a nuclear weapon of their own. They have Carol. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, yeah, you don't bring, you don't bring a nuclear weapon to a Carol fight because <laughs> uh, she'll blow that up at range and then you're all fucked. Then you're all screwed. Exactly. All right. Well, um, they meet up. So um, Aaron and Michonne, they meet up with the others at an abandoned camp that they find in the woods. They see a bunch of bodies around. They're highly decomposed. Some are naked, which I just figured I'd mention. Um, (laughs) And they find a skin-like cloak, it looks like, or a skin poncho instead of just a mask. And some, yeah, skin poncho. I don't know what that is, but that's like somebody's torso skin. I mean, can we call it a sconcho? Sconcho? Skin, yeah. Skincho? No, I, a skin poncho, I think, is a sconcho, but yeah. Is it? I think so. I wouldn't know. I mean, the last time, I, you're into? last time I was wearing one, I called it a skin, a sconcho. <laughs> well, is it, a, it's a, it's a human skin rug? It could like, be that. It's like a bear, like a whole bunch of bears, you skin those and make bear skin rugs, right? I and guess. People make skin, they skin humans. Yeah, I, I guess if you humans. don't, if, if you don't wear it and you lay it on the ground, it would be a skin rug, yeah. So it's just decoration then. Right. Anyways, okay. they find one and they well, realize- Well, because why would they skin a whole human, right? That's a good question. So they're, I mean, skinning people's faces to make masks makes sense. But, you know, instead of wearing a human skin poncho, you could wear a poncho. And maybe if it was dirty, it would be better. But uh, you don't need to skin somebody's torso. That's done for pleasure. That's that's somebody's twisted afternoon. Well, maybe maybe that's the point. They did this because they wanted to. That's gross. I don't know. Anyways, they all realize that this means that the whisperers have been on their side of the border, which is an infringement of the border, as we all know. Yeah, that's assuming that somebody in not it's not somebody in their group that's skinning people or zombies for fun. Maybe they're they encountered the whisperers and went, you know what? That seems like a really fun idea. I think I might start skinning zombies and tanning their hide uh, to make a skin suit. I don't know. I guess there could be a market for that. Anyways, they assume that the Whisperers been on, been, have been on their side of the border. They return to Oceanside, and they're talking about how fear can drive them apart, but it can also keep them safe, because if they're afraid, you know, they're not going to do anything crazy. And... Michonne mentions that they are the good guys. She has realized this, which is important. Uh, Even when it's hard, they have to choose to be good, and we just can't question that. There you go. Aaron walks away, and Michonne looks over at the kids who are playing. So she goes to them, and Judith is sitting there telling RJ, her brother, about the brave man 
who blew up the bridge and saved all his friends. Yeah, like Jesus. Well, she's talking about her dad. I know that, but it's <laughs> the, this is how this how it gets going, right? Yeah, that's right. But Michonne goes to them, hugs them, and tells them that she loves them. And I must admit, I thought this was was another really nice scene where, you know, Michonne can be the ultimate badass earlier in the episode. And this incredible sort of nurturing mother in this one. And, you know, that's a testament to the character and to Denai Guerrero's portrayal, I think. Yep. So suddenly, as she's hugging her kids, there's a bang overhead in the sky. They look up and we see a fireball streaking across the the sky. So this is where I kind of wish they didn't have this opening establishing shot of the satellite. Can you imagine how freaky this would be if we didn't know what was happening? That's just like, what the fuck? You know, that's a really good point, and I hadn't really thought of that. But you're right. They didn't need to tease the satellite at the beginning. And I'm absolutely sure that they had this conversation in the writer's room or even in the editing room, right? Maybe they had this thing in the can, uh, and they thought uh, at the end they had the, like— I can jump ahead, right? Sure. I'm not going to offend anybody. At the end, when they encounter the satellite on the ground, which I have a problem with, we'll get there. But uh, if it's not if it's not readily obvious that it is a satellite, they needed to include an establishing shot early on so that we all know what that is by the time they get to it. Right. Right? So I'm thinking that this whole conversation that we're having, they also had and decided that the... It wasn't enough information without the establishing shot, but I still kind of wish they didn't have the establishing shot because it would be much more dramatic going, what the hell's going on here? You know, that's, that's a really good point. I kind of wish they'd done it that way. Maybe they could have included the satellite shot later in the episode. And, and well, they we... did jump back and forth a couple of times, right? Like the timeline is not linear in this episode. It's kind of, we have parallel timelines, so there's no reason they couldn't do that. Yeah. Or, or even just... Before, right before we get to the the sort of fourth act, if you will, of this episode where where the satellite is crashed and they're putting out the fire, maybe that's when they could have put the space shot in. I, I don't know. Uh, but you're right. I feel like they must have had that conversation. And these are the smart people. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Maybe it was too confusing to have fireball across the sky with no establishing information that there's a satellite crashing back to Earth. I don't know. Well... Sadly, the information uh, that they showed was based in enough reality that, you know, clever people could have picked up on it. Like when the yeah. space shuttle kind of broke up and uh, when it was re-entering, uh, it broke into multiple pieces and kind of looked like that, where you have multiple pieces in parallel tracks that are, you know, flaming wreckage flying through the sky. Yeah. So that, to me... Uh, would have uh, told me that it wasn't just a meteor coming down because that's one big thing that comes down, right? Well, Whereas but, it, if it's breaking into multiple pieces like that, I guess it could. Yeah. But what do I know about meteors? But to me, that seems like uh, space debris, right? Something's coming in from orbit. Uh, right. You know, you know, meteors do that. I recognize that. But uh, to me, it seemed like it would that information that they showed on the screen was enough for me to assume that it was a man-made object coming in. Okay. Uh, rather than, but then again, I also had the benefit of the establishing shot. 
right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you, knew, you knew exactly what it was. So <laughs> yeah. Anyways, they see this thing streaking across the sky. And um, just before we go to commercial, Rachel runs up and says to Michonne that Eugene's on the radio and he needs to talk right away. And I just want to mention that because Rachel has actually been around. I had to look her up, to be honest with you, but she's been around since season seven but was played by a different actress then because it was six years in the past. So they've got a, an older actor to play that role now, who, if you look at the two, are remarkably similar looking, but I wasn't sure who it was the first time I watched the episode. Uh, so it was Rachel. So I just thought it was some rando. Nope. Rachel's been a character on the show for three years. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Chris. No problem. Complete me. It's what I'm here for. After the commercial break, we come back and we have a title card that says Bird Wisdom. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the Bird Wisdom uh, section of the show. We jump back to Aaron on the radio with Father Gabe again. And this time we see the other side of the conversation. And of course, Father Gabe is in Alexandria. Um, so after that quick, you know, time frame setting, uh, a bit of information there, we get a basically get a montage of Rosita and Eugene doing baby stuff. And uh, so obviously her baby has been born now. We see her breastfeeding it. And he's kind of standing around awkwardly looking on as Eugene does. P.S. You shouldn't call a baby it. Why not? I don't know. It's a person. Well, feeding it. Yeah, but we don't know Just, if this is a male or female baby yet. So No, but th it. there's a better way to say it than it. The baby feeding the baby, yeah. Okay, that works. Just a PS. That's that's it. I don't think it is outside of common sort of courtesy to refer to a baby as an it. Really? Yeah. You should ask your wife. Don't 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 listen to me. Ask your wife. I think it's fine. People, let us know. Is it okay to <laughs> call a baby an it, especially one on TV? <laughs> if you don't know the gender. If you don't know the gender, yes. If you do know the gender, you should call it he or she. Well, yeah, of course. Is it okay <laughs> to call it? it? I just did it. I just, you should call it he or she. See? <laughs> that I've always had a problem with non-gender specific personal pronouns. I think we need them in our language. So well, we don't have to use the word it. <laughs> I think when you don't know the gender of a baby, especially one on TV, it's fine to call it it. But for now on, we'll call it she. Is that all right? Uh, is it a girl? Yes. Okay, well then, yeah, she. All right, that's fine. I mean, you should, ultimately, you should wait till somebody grows up and then ask them what their preferred, you know, personal gender pro uh, pronoun is. Yeah. Because everybody should be able to choose their own. I'm all on board with that. I personally identify as a he. As do I. All right. Uh, anyways, um, she's breastfeeding. Eugene is measuring the baby, burping her. <laughs> various things like that. And Rosita's there working out with a punching bag. So she's yeah. getting in shape. And we find They're out- They're doing baby stuff. They are, but we find out the baby's name is Coco because it's written on a bunch of Eugene's charts. Cool. So it's Coco. That's a neat name. Yeah. Like it's short for something. Uh, I didn't write it down, but Coco is what she's going to go by. Um, we get Rosita, Eugene, and Sadiq- talking about the baby. Father Gabe comes in looking really upset. And I got the feeling that all four of them are all living in the same house together, <laughs> which is funny because they're all involved in this weird four-way relationship that, uh, 
I guess they're all pretty cool with because it doesn't, yeah, they're seem, fine. They're, doesn't, doesn't seem to be a thing. Yeah, they're all co-parenting. Right. It's, it's you know, it's a community. It's a tight-knit community. They could all live together. It's just, you know, as long as they don't shower together, they're fine. Well, well even if they are, I mean, it's up to them ultimately, but, uh, you know, whatever floats your boat. If you want to live right. as a small, intimate collective, you know, yeah. all if, the power to if you. If everybody's on board with showering together, then go for it. I mean, it saves yeah, water. As long as, as long as everybody's a consenting adult, you're good. That's right. Um, anyways, he comes in, he's looking rather upset. We cut outside to, or sorry, we cut to Lydia in a school class with other little kids learning to read. So it's revealed that Lydia is illiterate. She's never learned to read, I guess, in her growing up in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I bet she knows how to tan a face though. (laughs) I bet she does. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's all a matter of priorities on learning. Yeah, that's right. While she's in there though, Father Gabe and the rest of them come in. And they say they need the room, although we don't see what they talk about in that room. Because we, why do they need the room? They need to have. They needed to have a meeting. Why do they have to have it during school hours in the school? Well, that's a good question. But maybe that's their their uh, sort of council meeting room slash school children room. Right. Well, I would. I would agree if it was a town meeting. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not a town meeting. It's just uh, these four people or five people having a discussion. You could go to the windmill and have a discussion in the windmill. That'd be fine. You'd only have to get the windmill operator to leave instead of disrupting the whole school day. Well, anyways. they it just it strikes me as rude. It, it, it's a little strange, I suppose, yeah. But they go in. We don't see the meeting because we go outside and Lydia's out there now practicing some Aikido with uh, Henry's old stick although she's made a modification and put a nunchuck on the end. Yeah, yeah. You always, uh, adding chains to things makes everything better. It does. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so let me ask one quick question. How old is Lydia, the character? Um, it's a good question. I don't know. She's a teenager, I think. Yeah, okay. So uh, Negan's talking to young girls again. He's a very bad man, and he should not be allowed to uh, talk to people. Well, okay, so Negan is there, he's tending to some crops, and he does talk to her about what the big meeting is about, and then some guy who's watching over him tells him to get back to work, and Lydia reveals to him that somebody found a skin mask, and it's put the whole place on alert. Yeah. I don't understand, I I don't really agree that it's inappropriate for him to be talking to a teenage girl. It's a pattern of behavior that bugs me. That's it. He just, he seems to always befriend young women and girls to have conversations about what's going on in the world. And, uh, I just, I, it bothers me a little bit. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he's a good guy. He's obviously done terrible, terrible things, but like he's there, she's there practicing. He didn't put himself, he didn't go out of his way to put himself in her company. They're just, yep. they happen to be within speaking distance and we know he likes to speak. So he's talking to her. Plus he, he thinks he can get information about what's going on in the community. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing he, inappropriate about that other than maybe a prisoner talking to a non-prisoner. He is, uh, he has a specific, uh, pattern of who he targets to pump for information about what's going on. And it's always young girls. But Judith has come to him. He hasn't. 
He hasn't drawn he's her fostering, in. He's he's building relationships with these young women in order for uh, for a purpose that's other than just uh, having a nice conversation. It's to get information. He is uh, anyway. It's not really a big deal. It probably has nothing to do with the show. It's just uh, this is the second young woman that he's done uh, done this to. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if it was one of the male teenagers that was standing there practicing their fighting, fine. That's great. I, I would prefer that because that, that just means that he's asking people for information and it's just a thing. But it always, it seems to be targeting. So far, it's two out of two. The two people that he's been pumping for information are both young girls. It's a pattern. Well, it's not really a pattern. Two points don't make a pattern. It just makes a coincidence. But if there's a third one here, I'm writing letters. Okay. <laughs> Three data points make a pattern. So I'll I'll hold off for now. I just think it's a matter of, of con- convenience or coincidence, like you said. Or manipulatability. He knows who he can manipulate and how, and his target is young women. But you're implying that the young women are more manipulatable than a young man, and that's not true. No. He's he, talking to whoever happens to be around him. I guess I am implying that, but I don't mean to. What I mean to say is that he's targeting them because he feels he could manipulate them. But see, I don't... It doesn't I, mean they're more manipulatable than, than young men. Maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, I don't... Maybe ag- these two... Okay. I don't... I, I, just I just don't agree with that because he's talking to whoever's around him. He doesn't think about who it is. He just likes to talk and he wants information. It could be anybody there. I 90% agree with you. I just... I find it a uh, uh, kind of an unsettling behavior pattern. And I even had a... It was unsettling to me when there was only one data point. Right. So now we've got two. Okay. I just don't think it, it has any, um, I just don't think that who he's talking to has any relevance other than it's Negan. He wants information and he's talking to who's around him. You are probably right. Because I he think does... I'm the only person on the planet who's probably thinking about this. Okay. Well, that's fair. That's not, that's not true. There's other people there that have, uh, other, other people out there that have triggers, uh, you know, specific to personal events in their lives that probably see this as well. I, however, don't, but I still see it. I'm not the only one, but I'm probably, I'm definitely the only one on this podcast (laughs) and probably in a vast majority, minority of uh, the viewership. Sure. And, and I, I would agree with you if there was any, if Negan had any, um, freedom or agency to put himself in these situations, but he does not, at least from what we've seen so far. Right. If, if, if there was anything behind sort of him being able to manipulate his way into a situation where he was targeting young girls, then totally would agree with you. I just don't think that's been in the show, at least not yet. That's, that's the only reason I don't think there's any yeah. problem with it. You're probably right. I'm seeing things that are not there, but. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to like... say that. I'm not, I'm not even trying to say that it's what you, what you're seeing is in, is invalid, but. Yeah. I'm not sure we're there yet, in my opinion. Okay. I don't think it's a thing. I really don't think it's a thing. I think nobody's thinking about this on the writing staff. Right. But I see it. Never know. I mean, we could get there. Maybe it will become a pattern and we'll have to see. Uh, I sure hope not. That'd be disturbing mm-hmm. even for a, uh, a horror type show. It would be. That's true. Uh, Father Gabe and the crew come out and they pass by Negan without saying a word, but he kind of watches them go by. Uh, we go over to see Sadiq though, and he's putting Coco down in her crib. 
I even wrote down her in my notes, Jason. Good work, <laughs> You'll my friend. Happy with me. You uh, can call the crib in it. <laughs> all right, fine. He puts Coco down in it, the crib. Awesome. Um, he has a bunch of like flashbacks to the scene from last year in the barn where Alpha kills Enid and and everybody else, and he seems to be suffering some from some PTSD, of course. Oh yeah. Um, now new character Dante comes in because he can hear Coco crying and, you know, he mentions the whisperers kind of triggers more flashbacks in Sadiq and then makes a joke about kissing him. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. So they seem to have a thing there, or at least, at least, uh, Dr. Dante has a thing for Sadiq. Yeah. Which Shut is up and kiss me. Totally. Was awesome. Totally awesome. Yeah. Um, we fade to Negan in his cell and Father Gabe comes to see him. Egan starts talking about how they all used to hate him, but now he's just a guy who picks vegetables and takes out the trash. And he's saying that, well, the Whisperers are back, so it's uh, pants shitting time again. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's classic Negan. And uh, he tells Father Gabe that he needs to lie to people to keep them alive and keep them feeling safe. You know, don't tell them the Whisperers are back. Just tell them everything is fine. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, community leadership needs to do. Right. Just lie to your people. Yeah. Keep them safe from the knowledge of danger. Yeah. Until they can't do do that anymore. Until you can't lie about it anymore. Right. And then watch the panic ensue. That's right. Um, outside the Alexandria walls, Father Gabe tells people to double the security and then he looks up and he sees the fireball in the sky as well. And we see Eugene run full blast to the radio to contact Oceanside. Because he knows exactly what it is immediately. Uh, he is an all-seeing, all-knowing uh, guy that just sees a thing in the sky for half a second and knows exactly what it is, where it's going, and needs to communicate that information to somebody else. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's Eugenius. So he knows he knows things like this. Do, do you think he actually knew it was a satellite, though, or it was just some large object falling through the atmosphere, like comet or, well, you know, um, meteor or satellite. Do you think he knew it was a satellite? Well, I would have to assume. Yeah, okay. I figured he did too, somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he probably saw the establishing shot. It's like, oh, it was <laughs> right. in the script. It's that, a satellite. That's why that was in there. Exactly. I knew it. Yeah. Okay, commercial break, and we come back, and we are now in the Sea Dogs section of the episode. And once again, we're back to Aaron and Gabe on the radio, but this time we cut two people at the ocean and Daryl and Dog approach while a group of them are hauling a net in out of the water. Uh, Rachel, who's there, tries to warn Kelly that she's about to back up into some wood, but she doesn't hear her and almost steps on it and falls down. So then Kelly and Connie talk about her hearing and she admits that she can't always make out when somebody's talking to her or when there's a lot of noise and voices around. So it's kind of implied that Kelly's hearing is getting worse, I guess. Yes. Yeah. She's, uh, she's losing her hearing. Right. Uh, which is bad, but not the end of the world because of course Connie is, uh, fully deaf and she's gotten by. Uh, but Kelly's upset because she feels like she's the interpreter for Connie and that's not going, she's not gonna be able to do that as much anymore, I suppose. Yeah, we're going to have to teach somebody else sign language. Yeah, which they're starting to do. Daryl, or dog runs up and they wave to Daryl. And then we cut over to Daryl and Ezekiel who are out on a dock. 
And, you know, Ezekiel's talking about how he used to be afraid of birds, which I thought was funny. Uh, and Daryl says, you got to eat more birds and show them who's boss. Yeah, that's true. And birds are scary. Um, Canadian geese in the springtime? Oh. You give them a wide berth. Yeah, geese are, are very scary. Normal birds, I'm not so afraid of. Well, it depends on the bird. He's talking about, you know, working at a zoo. So he's not just talking about pigeons and uh, seagulls. It's true. Which are their own scary in their own ways. I guess so, yeah. Uh, he mentions- you get enough seagulls together, they'll come after you. I'm telling you, I had a, I told you that my sausage was stolen by a, a couple of seagulls in cahoots. That's funny. It's funny so, because the seagulls were smarter than you. Yeah. The first one distracted me by, <laughs> and I had to, I had to whack it with my arm. And while I was looking incredulously at that one seagull, at the audacity of this <laughs> bird, another one came from my blind side and stole my fucking sausage and buggered off. It's pretty funny. And I had mustard all over my arm. I'm like, son of a bitch, I was going to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason. And they both flew off together. You got to take, shared... you gotta oh. take Daryl's advice, eat more birds and show them who's boss. I eat lots of birds. <laughs> yeah, chickens not... know who's boss. Yeah, the ch- <laughs> I'm not afraid of chickens. No. <laughs> and I would not eat a seagull. Uh, no, it's probably a bad idea. Yeah, we were, uh, the, speaking of which, the weirdest thing I ever saw a seagull do, I was uh, having lunch with Jenny one time years ago. Uh, downtown at our office. I met her at our office. We went to Nathan Phillips Square. Uh, for That's the one right in front of the... That's the one in front of Toronto City Hall. Yeah, that's the one. We were in Nathan Phillips Square uh, eating a lunch and the seagulls were coming up and along with these little tiny starling type, little tiny birds, I don't know what the hell they are, little tiny birds and the seagulls were coming looking for, uh, for food and uh, the seagull turned, grabbed the little starling in its mouth, went chomp, 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 swallowed it and then flew away. That is horrifying. <laughs> it was like, I didn't know seagulls did that. And jerk birds, man. They're eating each other. <laughs> They'll eat whatever's nearby, well, living or dead. I'm telling you, seagulls are, I'm, I'm with Ezekiel on this. Birds are fucked up. <laughs> and you got to be careful. <laughs> I mean, they're dinosaurs, right? They're crazy. They're, they're dinosaurs. That I hadn't considered that in my thinking, but shit, they're dinosaurs. Yeah. Well- now that we've established that birds are fucked. Um, they, don't, they don't think like us. No. Like he's right. A big cat, you can look in their eyes and tell what they're thinking. But a bird, it's just dead eyes, man. You don't know. You don't know what's going on in there. Well, now I'm officially afraid of birds. You should be. All right. Well, Connie comes up with dog and Daryl says that dog likes her better. You know, that, that yeah. dog has favorites too. And she jokes about him signing with a Southern accent because clearly he's learning a bit of sign language to communicate with her, which is nice and funny. And Daryl buys into it. He's like, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like, what? How's that possible? Uh, so a boat approaches the docks and if Carol is on board, she jumps off onto the dock. She kind of awkwardly greets Ezekiel. So they've clearly never gotten back together. And then she greets Connie and Daryl, and honestly, she seems most enthusiastic to see Daryl again. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was kind of emotionally unsettling for me. Maybe. Like she just says, oh, it's good to see you. You're looking good. And then goes and gives Daryl a big hug and is very warm to over, or, you know, warm to him right while Ezekiel's looking at the, at the interaction. That's like a big fuck you to Ezekiel. Well, but I mean, you got to remember, it's like Ezekiel's her ex. And Daryl is her long-term platonic best friend. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, logically that makes all 
all the sense in the world. Right. Emotionally, she knows that that is got to hurt Ezekiel. Like Daryl picks her up a little bit and gives her a nice warm hug and they're all like giggly, giggly and best friends again. That's got to hurt, man. I don't care if you know or not know that, uh, that they're just platonic, uh, you know, for an ex to do that right in front of you. Yeah. That, that hurts. That's cold. It's a bit rough. That's true. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? She's happy to see her old friend and she's not unhappy to see Ezekiel, but they have this romantic history together that hasn't been a thing for a while. And yeah. I guess there's always going to be that level of awkwardness there. Yeah. Maybe Carol's just put on the planet to hurt people, like <laughs> kill little girls, murder people and break hearts. And break hearts. Man, she, she can do it all. Yeah. So back at Oceanside, they are talking about being out on the ocean, her being away. Carol mentions that they sailed south to a dock where they pick up letters from Maggie, but there uh -huh. hasn't been anything for a while. And Daryl kind of uh, accuses her of being out looking for Alpha, I think, and Carol denies it. So he explains that they've recently found a mask and maybe the Whisperers are back. Mm -hmm. So they go on a more... You think uh, Carol thinks that the Whisperers are on the ocean? Well, I got the feeling maybe she was sailing up and down the coast looking for signs of them. Okay. No. Well, she's going to have better luck in a few minutes. Yeah. Not that they were on the ocean. So her and Daryl go on a motorcycle ride. She looks to be really enjoying it. Uh, they do a little zombie target practice with his crossbow and her bow. And some more zombies approach. They kill them and we go to a commercial break. When we come back, we are we greeted with the title screen, New Mexico. We have Daryl shooting a deer. It runs off, but they follow the trail of blood, and it ends up crossing one of Alpha's borders, borders and dies, and then zombies eat it. Uh, Carol doesn't really take the border seriously because she wants to go and grab the, the deer, but Daryl seems to really take the border seriously and says, it's too late, leave it. It's not ours anymore. Yeah. So to be fair, this CG idea was better than the last one. Yeah. Designer Will from the internet wrote, holy crap, did you see that bad CG idea makes a cameo in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> it makes you wonder whether they did it on purpose. It kind of right? does. kind of does. This looks like, well, if you want, you know, you think we did bad last time, here you go. Here's some more bad deer. But then again, uh, you know, it's that uncanny valley thing. You have to spend a lot of money to uh, to CGI animals and make them believable. Like you almost have to mocap a deer falling down in order to get that kind of information onto the screen properly. It, you kind of do, yeah. And this one or wasn't... hire Andy Circus to do it because he could probably do it. Oh, I bet he could. Yeah, but you're right. This one wasn't as bad as the last one. Um, it it more or less looked like a deer. It just sort of fell down awkwardly, I thought. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it did. It was it was better than the last one. That's as far as I can go with it. Sure. It was still bad, but better well, than the last one. Maybe they are doing it on purpose. Maybe they're just going to be like, you know what? Every time we need a deer, we're going to make it look slightly unrealistic. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a thing now. Maybe next time we'll just have uh, Bambi, like the actual drawn Bambi. They'd have to pay. Oh, Disney for that. Like they wouldn't do that. 2D animation of Bambi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. Yeah, that would they, that would cost too much money. I mean, it'd be less money to CGI a deer. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
So back at the motorcycle, uh, they sit and they're talking about not starting shit if there's no reason, meaning like don't cross the borders and cause an uprising. Uh, they eat, Daryl calls Carol his best friend, and she starts teasing him about making matching bracelets, what his favorite color is, etc. And it's a pretty funny, lighthearted scene. I enjoyed it myself. They speculate if this is all there is. Maybe they just are running from fight to fight. And uh, Carol says, you should come out on the boat with me, but he declines. Yeah, this was a really nice moment. I mean, this was Norman Reedus being charming Norman Reedus, which we haven't gotten in a long time. We mentioned when we watched this in the trailer. Uh, yeah. So it was it was really nice to see this. And uh, personally, I wouldn't mind a friendship bracelet if you were willing to make me one. It doesn't have to have seashells on it, but you have two daughters. I bet you have some string and stuff lying around and could, uh, I'm not saying you need to make me one, but I wouldn't turn it down. Oh, well, that's nice. That's nice of you. Um, yeah, I, you know, they make these sorts, my kids make these sorts of things all the time. <laughs> yeah. So they're lying around the house half made, you know, everywhere. Um, yeah, okay. So, you know, so I, I, we'll just let that lie. Okay. Fair. Um, now Carol and Daryl, they kind of half joke about leaving together, maybe going West towards New Mexico. Uh, they say like no more fighting, just go and see who's left out there. Um, and as they're talking, he's been making her a little rope bracelet and hands it to her, <laughs> which is absolutely adorable. <laughs> it is. You know, it's absolutely adorable. And then they're so best friends. They are totally best friends. And then suddenly there's a big explosion in the sky and they both look up. Goddamn satellites crashing down in the middle of your, you know, charming moments. Yeah, that's right. So now we've got three different. Uh, sections of the same timeline or things happening in different places at the same time. And they all end with the satellite exploding into the atmosphere. After a commercial break, we come to the lines we cross section. Mm -hmm. Now James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania wrote in, holy crap, what kind of reverse gravity is going on in the new world that allows the satellite to hit so close to the groups with the apparent trajectory it was heading on? <laughs> I got all kinds of problems with this satellite landing. Okay. The satellite didn't crash from orbit. First of all, it probably burn up before it hit the ground because, yes. uh, you know, it has to be a, for a chunk of iron to make it all the way to the, to the surface of the planet as a meteorite, uh, has to be pretty big, right? Like way then, bigger than satellite size is what you're saying. Yeah. So satellites, they are launched from earth into orbit. I'm sorry. That's pretty obvious, but. Every single ounce that is launched into orbit costs tens of thousands of dollars uh, to get it up there. So they make these fucking things as light as possible mm -hmm. and then deploy them into space. They don't have to be very uh, robust in space because uh, as we can see from this satellite, they may get dirty, but uh, they're not going to break down necessarily unless they're hit by a wrench because there's wrenches floating around in orbit up there. Yep. You got to watch out for wrenches. Uh, so this thing would never make it to the surface of the earth. And if it did, it would be so massive that it would create a huge crater and would be, uh, an indistinguishable chunk of plastic and metal and aluminum and garbage. Uh, it would not be in this condition. This satellite landed, did not crash. Right. 
I, I completely agree with all of those things you just said, yet I don't care that much. <laughs> and it started a fire somehow. Well, I mean, something that crashes into the ground that's on fire might start a fire. Ooh, okay, why was it on fire? Well, I guess the heat from the atmosphere. Yeah. It, it was, didn't, you know, it didn't burn up in atmosphere, so it probably generated a lot of heat. You're right. And then when it, when it landed in the forest, uh, I didn't see any trees down necessarily. It didn't even make a crater. Like it was sitting on the ground. Anyway, I'll move on. Uh, yeah, okay. So, you know, the forest caught on fire. And so they have, they're all ready for a, uh, um, you know, a, a forest fire. Like they got the, the forest fire brigade equipment already, like tanks with water on it. Well, right. Water so, tanks. so the thing crashes, it lights the forest on fire. And the problem here is that the, the fire is in whisperer territory, but yep. they can't just let it go because it will spread into their territory. The fire doesn't know about the border, so they need to do something about this. So as you said, yeah, they all run to it with water tanks on their backs. Um, and we've got some characters spraying water. We have some digging trenches or shoveling sand and Aaron's team, I think even lights a perimeter fire to try and stop the main fire from spreading. Yeah. So they, fire with fire. They clearly have a fire volunteer fire department here that has a plan. Yeah. They know how to deal with forest fires because those, those are all the right things to do. You create a fire break. Yep. You, uh, you do a pre-burn to try and, uh, stop that kind of thing. So they're doing all the right things, uh, with like two very big exceptions. One, if they were close enough to this forest fire, uh, where it would show the flames <laughs> next to them, mm -hmm. uh, there'd be enough smoke. They wouldn't be able to see and or breathe. Yep. So there's that. And, uh, the second thing is, uh, they really were ready for this. And I don't believe that for a second. I mean, house fires, yes. Uh, but really backpack water tanks with sprayers, like where did they get those? I don't know, man. It's been six years. Like they've had time to establish all kinds of systems for what might come up. And one of those things might be something might catch on fire. So we need some sort of backpack water tanks that can spray water. Okay, so why don't you have a, a water tank that is on a wagon that can be pulled by horses so you can get, like, a lot of water from the ocean? Did they have that? I don't know if they had that. Well, no, they didn't, but maybe that's the point, right? They have these tanks, which are good for if, you know, the, the apple hut lit on fire, we need to put that out. They, they, were, they were woefully unprepared for a forest fire, I think, but they had something. Yeah. You know what okay. I mean? Like, they were ready for a small house fire. They weren't ready for a giant horse. Uh, horse fire. No, a giant forest fire. Oh God, that's horrible. <laughs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God, guys, another horse fire. What are we going to do? Um, Damn things keep catching on fire. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm just like, I don't think their, their efforts to put this out were all that effective. Although at the end of the day, <laughs> they did manage to put it all out because um, we see, well, it, it doesn't seem to be going very well with the spraying of the water and everything. The fire to me, looked like it was getting out of control. Uh, Ezekiel at one point overexerts himself, and he has to fall back. And then it kind of seems like they start running out of water without making a lot of progress. Yeah, and I think uh, Ezekiel was throwing salt on the uh, on the fire because I think they were curing salt earlier. Oh, uh, I didn't notice that. I thought he was throwing buckets of sand or something. It looked like salt to me. Okay. Like they were taking salt water and... Uh, you know, distilling it in order to make uh, potable water. Mm -hmm. And then they ended up with all this extra salt. And it looks like earlier, I don't remember exactly where in the episode, but I'm like, what are they doing with that salt? 
Hmm. And then later on, when he's throwing buckets of it, I'm like, oh, salt. I mean, I don't know why they would throw buckets of salt rather than dirt, but whatever. I throw what you have. Would salt smother a fire the same way dirt or sand does? Probably not. I don't, I don't see why not. I guess if you have enough of it, I don't know. Yeah, it's sort of like sand, only it melts in water. Right. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, now it's daytime, and of course, zombies show up. They're attracted to the fire, I guess. And somebody shows up with a cart full of weapons. And so now they have to fight fire and zombies, which is even more troublesome for everybody. Yeah. And zombies on fire. And zombies on fire. That's right. Another commercial break and we come back and we are in, I think, the final title card of the episode, which is Embers. We see a bunch of archers take zombies down. Luckily, they practiced this at the beginning, you know, archers shooting zombies. A bunch of slow-mo shots of zombie killing. I thought it looked awesome again. Uh, the diggers who were digging trenches and starting the perimeter fire, they show up to help. And um, all kinds of stuff is going on. Bill from New Jersey writes, Holy crap, did you see Carol slit a walker's throat and use the blood to extinguish the flames on a burning walker on the ground? Damn, she is such a badass. She is such a badass. <laughs> the zombies have blood still? Well, this one what sure did. did. It sure did. Maybe it was just gore, like liquid gore, because, you know, that stuff happens. Yeah, just pouring out, putting out the fire was pretty awesome. Um, basically, everybody is fighting zombies. They're now mostly on fire. And uh, at one point, Daryl throws a big axe at a tree that is burning, and the axe forces the tree to fall down and take out a bunch of walkers. Yeah, he's Thor. It's only Daryl and or Thor can get away with that. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So stepping back to uh, Carol slitting that zombie's throat. Sure. Throughout the episode, every time they encountered zombies, they kept saying, look at their hands, right? Uh, so they were worried that some of them might be uh, the whisperers. Yes. So they kept saying, look at their hands. When Carol slit that throat and the blood was all spewing out, I thought for about half a second that it was, or actually the whole thing I thought was, uh, it was a whisperer and that she had actually killed a human being with that much blood coming out. But then after, a few seconds after it fell, and nobody reacted to that, I knew that it was a zombie with blood and or gore. But for a while, I thought that that was a whisper. I mean, are we sure it's not? That's a good point. I mean, a human would have the most blood spewing out probably, so maybe it was supposed to be a whisperer. I don't I don't think so. But okay. I thought for a second, because they kept saying, look at their hands so much. I was, I was always watching the zombies hands. I was expecting one of them to be holding a knife at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I'm not, I don't discount the idea. It didn't occur to me, but maybe it's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I No, I, I'm pretty sure it was a zombie, but I just saying that my mental failing again, I have the brain the size of a peanut. Uh, thought that it was a, uh, a walker. No. Whisper. Whisper. I no. I, th I think it's a good, uh, possibility. Um, Anyways, we get a couple of hero shots of Michonne and Daryl doing stuff, basically fighting zombies. And then we cut to the aftermath. The fire is now out. I guess the zombies are all dead. So they've managed to put out the fire, clear the zombies, and save the day. And the satellite. Save the satellite. Well, Eugene is inspecting the satellite wreckage because, you know, he wants to get parts from it or just study it. Uh, he just wants some time to inspect it. And everyone else is gathering to go back to Oceanside. And Michonne is trying to tell him to hurry the hell up because we are in Whisperer land and we need to get out of here. Um, which, you know, we're not supposed to be here, so we got to leave. All right, speculation time. Okay. What the hell 
could Eugene get from a satellite that would be useful? Especially looking one, for anything. Yeah, especially one that has crashed into the ground. I don't know. I think maybe he's just curious about it in general, so he wants to poke through it. But I don't know. It seems like the the innards of a satellite would be highly technological and for a very specific purpose. Like I don't know what this satellite was for. Whether it was a spy satellite or a GPS satellite or a communication satellite or some kind of uh, high tech laser. That was used to shoot down other satellites? You never know. <laughs> they probably have those, right? Like, I, why wouldn't they? Yeah, probably. Why wouldn't they put a laser in a satellite and then launch it in space and go, oh, at least we got a laser up there. Well, now that I you said that. Good for. <laughs> now that you said that, a satellite laser is probably targeting your house as we speak. Oh, no, no. They couldn't get through the atmosphere. Like, there's too much <laughs> scattering of the lights through that much atmosphere. I'm just talking about shooting down other satellites. Ooh. Sounds cool. <laughs> so, those <laughs> exist. I have no idea. It's the first time I thought of that idea. All right. But uh, I'm pretty sure they exist. I don't see why not. Well. But I can't imagine anything that would be useful inside a satellite uh, to this community at large. I don't like, know. There's not a TV in there. There's no other radio. They already have radios. Uh, what, what's he looking for? I think he might just be a curious scientist type guy who wants to poke through. I don't know specifically what he would be looking for, but he seems really interested in it. Well, I sure hope that he got something and that it comes up again some other time instead of this just being an excuse to have to go into the Whisperer's territory. Well, well, no, that's what it was, to be honest. Like, I I agree. It It would be nice if he did salvage something from that satellite. But the whole point was that this yeah. four-star group into Whisperer territory, and Aaron even mentions that just before we we cut away, is that, you know, he says that putting out this fire helps the Whisperers too, so maybe it buys them some goodwill with them. Yeah, so I agree, but any, you know, story point like this, as big as this, as important as this is to the episode, will have more than one story purpose. Yeah, and I'm hoping that this just does, isn't just a transparent, flat story purpose in order to be, you know, the the MacGuffin to get him into the uh, Whisperer's territory. I want it to be something else. I want there to be something more well, that comes out of this. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It would be nice if something more came out of it. Now, while, um, uh, while Eugene is standing there digging through the satellite, Luke comes up and makes a comment about radiation. Isn't there radiation? And I thought Eugene gave him this hilarious answer about, you know, there's radiation around us all the time. And maybe there's some extra space radiation coming off of this thing, but I don't think you need to worry about it. <laughs> so that's funny for two reasons. I know one so, of them. Uh, what's one of them? Because I think it's a dig at fear. <laughs> you know what? Well, they, Radi radiation? Okay, three. Radiation? Not a big deal, you idiot. <laughs> well, he's obviously wrong. But in that regard, because radiation can be dangerous. We all know that. Uh so it would be hilarious if one show was digging at the other show. Uh, I don't really believe that's happening, but in my own mind, I thought it was. The radiation is everywhere and all kinds of things give off radiation. Uh, you know, an, in, uh, uh, an overseas flight gives you a, you know, higher than level, higher than normal dose of radiation just for the fact that you did that. The uh, concrete, not concrete, uh, <sighs> marble gives off radiation. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, what I heard was that uh, Grand Central Terminal is a marble building 
it gives off uh, a little bit of radiation, a little bit higher than background radiation. If they were uh, building a brand new nuclear power plant and it gave off the amount of radiation that Grand Central Terminal gives off, it would not get its license to operate. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Just so take that. Keep that in (laughs) mind. There's radiation everywhere. Everybody who commutes through Grand Central Terminal every day. It, well, the thing is, it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. It's never affected anybody adversely. Nobody's gotten sick and blamed it on Grand Central Terminal, right? It's just, it's a, con- it's a, not a concrete, it's a, it's a marble building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that shit gives off radiation because yeah. everything does. Of course. Right? So, uh, visible light is radiation. It's all around all right. us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Eugene's right in that regard. Uh, and secondly, if the satellite was giving off more radiation, that means there would be a nuclear power plant, uh, inside that thing, which they don't do. They don't launch nuclear power plants into space. I sure as hell hope not, uh, because, you know, blowing up nuclear material on launch would spread that shit all over the place. Nobody should be doing that. I'm pretty sure only the laser satellites are nuclear powered. So yeah. Don't worry Uh, about it. They would be, wouldn't they? Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't be. No. You'd need a lot of power for those lasers, right? That's right. What a better way to get power than a nuclear power plant. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's funny because why would a satellite be radioactive? (laughs) It'd be hot because it just came through the atmosphere. Sure. And uh, generated enough heat to start a forest fire and then gently landed. Well, (laughs) it was a funny scene. Uh, Eugene kind of tells him, don't worry about it. But, you know, Luke calls him Eugenius, which I'm mentioned earlier, which I thought was a pretty funny name too. That, that is funny. I'm surprised yeah, it hasn't come up the, before. Uh, me too. I don't know if I'm going to call him uh, that. I still prefer to think of him as the armored pierogi. It's true. Personally. I do like the armored pierogi. Yeah. So it was a, it was an interesting scene. It was. But I, I hadn't considered that it was a dig on fear, which I like. Yeah. I don't really think that, but again, like I said, in my own mind, I think that's funny. Um, so anyways, uh, we go to Carol and Daryl who are not with the forest fire crew anymore. They are now up on the rocky cliff face where last season, uh, Rick looked down with Alpha and saw the massive whisperer herd below Uh same rocky cliff. The herd isn't there anymore. And Daryl and Carol, uh, well, Daryl says that he needs Carol to stay so she should think about it. And then he walks away and before she leaves, she kind of looks down and we see Alpha come out from the trees on a far rock platform down below. And she does this weird thing where she kind of looks side to side and then looks up at Carol. They lock eyes and the final shot of the episode is Alpha staring up at Carol, cut to black. Yeah. And then in that cut to black, Carol takes a shot at her with an arrow. She does. Because why not? Well, why wouldn't she? She's at a, at a lower elevation at a, you know, a, a distance, but uh, Carol's got a quiver full of arrows. Start taking shots. Why my, the hell not at this point? My feeling is that Alpha was way too far away for that. That's Well, yeah, they have ranges, but, you know, I believe in Carol. Well, that's true, if anyone can do it. Well, their shot counter shot was all medium to close, close up. Right. So yeah. I assume they were 50 feet apart. <laughs> and, uh, earlier the establishing shot of that, uh, Canyon scene, uh, that Rocky outcropping wasn't that far away. Oh, really? Uh, I would probably put it at a hundred feet. 
maybe. Hmm. So yeah, I think it's it's probably you know I don't know what what the ranges are of a of a good longbow, but I uh, I I assume that in, that that would be a long range for the longbow. But uh, she got a quiver full of arrows. Just start taking shots. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, the worst that's happened. You miss and you piss her off. But I get the feeling she's pissed off yeah. already. She's already. You think there's off. levels of pissed off that Alpha has? It's like wow, you know, I'm mildly annoyed that you're there. Uh, but you took shots at me, so I'm furious now. <laughs> now you're really going to die. Before you were just dead. Now you're going to die. Yeah, I don't think Alpha has that kind of nuance to her. She's just angry that, you know what? You guys came into my territory. I know you put out a forest fire, but yeah, I wanted that forest fire to keep going, so screw you. Yeah, I think she has the same levels of uh, frustration as my three-year-old, right? He's either happy or it's the end of the world. <laughs> That's alpha for right? you, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Shades of Grey will come later in life, but uh, Alpha did not learn that skill growing up. It's just uh, she's either content, because when she walked out onto that outcropping, uh, it was kind of awkward, but I think she was just going for a walk to bask in the sun. Like, I'm just going to enjoy myself out here. I'm going to have my cup of tea. Oh, shit, look, it's Carol. Yeah. Right? So, uh because it wasn't that she was walking out there because she knew Carol was there. I got the impression that she walked out there and then saw Carol. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, what was my point? <laughs> that she needed a tan and she came out to get a little sun. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, so she was, uh, I think it's the, uh, the content to end of the world. So there's no middle ground there. It's just, she was perfectly content while she was walking out awkwardly onto this outcropping. Mm -hmm. Like I usually do when I walk out into an outcropping and not expecting to see my mortal enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, I just walk out and I kind of, you know, swagger out or saunter and then uh, bask in the sun. It's like, oh shit. Now that guy, Steve is there. I hate that guy. <laughs> I was hoping I'd never see Steve again. Yeah. Now <laughs> I have to kill everyone he knows. Yeah, that's right. Well... And there you have it. There you have the season 10 premiere of The Walking Dead. Um, quickly, friend of the show, Adam in Texas, wrote in, holy crap, that was a season premiere. It was the okayest one yet. In my day, you had a Carol blow up some cannibals and then kill Tasha Yar. And that was how you did it. That's, that is how you did it. <laughs> so he's, I think he's kind of saying that this was a little bit mediocre in his mind. And I'm not going to say this was the best season premiere they've done or the best episode, but in my opinion, it was pretty darn good. I enjoyed it a lot. I am part of that. I admit fully is that I'm just happy to have this show back on the air, but I think Angela Kang continues her run of good episodes. This one was really solid. I enjoyed it and I'm pumped for what's coming next. Me too. I have a couple questions though. Lay them on me. Where are the zombies? Where's this nuclear option that they have? Because if this uh, valley was full of zombies, uh, that was a nuclear option. Uh, that was their nuclear weapon that they could use against our intrepid heroes. But if those zombies are not there, where are they? Did they take them on vacation with them and left them there? Yeah, we don't know where they are, but I do think the idea is they can move them around. Now, I will admit, that looks like way too many zombies for a small group of people to effectively move anywhere, right? Even if you can walk amongst them. But I think the idea is they took them somewhere and now they're back, but they haven't corralled them into that valley yet. Okay. Well, I guess I might have 
the explanation I just thought of was if you're going to show your enemy the uh, in order to intimidate them, your herd or horde of zombies, uh, and then let him go away without a blindfold, he knows where they are now. So move them. Right. You're talking so about Rick. Maybe, yeah, she showed Rick where they yeah, are. She showed Rick where they are, but, uh, you know, I don't know if Alpha knows he's dead or what's going on there. But uh, the idea is show them the bunch of zombies and then get rid of them or move them someplace else before they can counterattack and, and, you know, delete your zombies. So <laughs> that's the only really uh, explanation I can think of, even though this canyon seemed like a great place to store zombies with like walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to store them in a barn. That's just dumb. <laughs> that's zombies not... get out of barns. We know that. That's right. <laughs> they get out of barns <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So, and they get out of ships. They get out, of, they get out of everywhere that, humans make. So put them in some place where, well, you can make a quarry. That's a good idea too, right? Uh-huh. And we had a bunch of zombies in a quarry once. We did. Uh, so there, yeah. Okay. So I maybe have, I've answered my own question. There's someplace else secret. They're not there exactly. But the point is the whisperers are back, uh, with their nuclear weapon in tow, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Did you have another no, question? Maybe. Uh, the only other question I had was if that, uh, satellite was a secret, uh, old Russian laser satellite with a, uh, nuclear power plant on board, does that mean the whispers now have a nuclear weapon? <laughs> yeah. Now they actually do have a nuclear weapon. And it's just a weird coincidence that Michonne referred to it that way. Well, foreshadowing, right? Yeah. Foreshadowing has been known to be used in storytelling. Once in a so, while. Yeah. Well, so maybe they have, uh, they'll maybe beta is also a uh an ex russian satellite engineer and uh built this satellite because i know how to sell oh. off that nuclear weapon jason you're talking like this show is fear the walking dead that's not going to happen <sighs> yeah you're probably right i'm i got to i got to purge i got to i tried to purge i tried to watch a uh, a lot of brooklyn 99 over the last couple of days try and get all this shit out of my mind, but it's still there. Didn't work, eh? Yeah. It's too bad. Well- Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a hard show to watch in uh, like a lot of episodes in short order because mm-hmm. they're so packed, so densely with comedy that uh, it's a little overwhelming to watch like five or six episodes in a row. Okay. Well, I've never it's, tried it's that. Like, uh, it's like, um, it's, what's that animated show about the spy? Archer. It's like watching a lot of episodes of Archer in a row. You can't do it. It's it's too much information. Uh, you know, you watch five episodes of Archer and you can't talk for a while because <laughs> your brain is just overloaded with so much dense comedy. All right. Well, uh, I don't think The Walking Dead really has that problem. I can watch a lot of them in a row and uh, don't seem to have too much trouble. In fact, yesterday I watched three or four episodes in a row from season nine. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um my wife was, it was not up to date and I've been bugging her for a long time. You got to watch the rest of season nine because it's good. And so she finally started doing that. And yesterday we watched, I think episode like 11, 12, 13 and 14 or something like that. Wow. Um, the last one we watched was the Michonne episode where she has to kill all the kids. Oh, and right. I'd, I'd kind of forgot about that to be honest, but then watching it Me again, too. it was like equally upsetting. Really? Um, that was a really good episode. Anyways, so what does she think of uh, the whispers as a as a threat? Um, haven't really asked her about it, or we haven't talked about it, but I'll find out. All right, you got to report back. Okay. 
anyways, um, I thought this episode was great. I don't really have too much else to say about it. It was a great introduction to the season. And yeah, like I mentioned, Angela Kang continuing to do an awesome job. So I have really good, a really good feeling and high hopes about season 10. Me too. Sweet. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, the last shot was Carol and Alpha, because I still think that they need to go head to head. I believe they're going to. Um, is that, that a pun? That's not really a pun, is it? No, I don't think so. Alpha cut off a bunch of heads. Well, faces more than anything, but yeah. Well, no, she cut off a bunch of heads and put them on pikes. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, so head to head? Maybe. I don't know. Sort of a pun. (laughs) It's not funny. Sort of a pun. Um, We're going to have much more Carol Alpha, I think, interaction this season, and it's going to be awesome. All right. Uh, that's that everyone. Thank you so much, um, for, for listening. Before we end here, I just do want to remind everyone that you can help out the the podcast by way of supporting us. And you can do that by visiting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can become a monthly patron. And, uh, that's just a small monthly pledge that, uh, you Hopefully, don't even notice the cost of a Starbucks, as I've said. <laughs> and forget about it. <laughs> no, no, that's not what we want. Uh, it's just an easy way to sort of help out on a regular basis. But if that's not your thing, um, TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash PayPal allows you to make a one-time contribution, which is just as appreciated. So um, thank you to everyone who has done that. And, uh, you know, it's really great. And, and all the money goes into help putting on the show we do here and all the expenses and stuff like that. Uh, okay. So what do we do now? Um, now that the main show is back on, we typically record as we just did Tuesday nights with our recap. And then we do a Thursday night listener feedback show. So that's going to be starting up again. We'll be recording again later this week with all that. So if you want to send in some feedback, there's a few ways you can do that. One of which is visiting the po- uh, visiting the website at talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail, which allows you to record a message, which we love getting, and it'll come right to us. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. And just as a reminder, after every episode or towards the end of every episode on Sunday evenings, I post on Facebook sort of a, uh, what did you think of this one post? And you can comment on that and some of those comments I use on the feedback show. Or, of course, you can just send us email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And I go through all those and pull out as many as I can to read and discuss on the air on Thursday nights. So let us know if you think Chris is an insensitive jerk for calling a baby an it. <laughs> yes. Don't forget that. Fine. You can, I, I can handle it if you do. And uh, <laughs> I will try my best to be more sensitive in the future. Yeah. If it comes down that way. I mean, if the internet knows anything, it's whether or not somebody's being an insensitive jerk. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least has an opinion on it. Oh, the internet does have an opinion on a lot of things. Yeah. Well, we'll find out about that. I look forward to it. Uh, But in the meantime, yeah, those are the way to contact us. So we hope to get lots of feedback and we'll read as much of it as we can on Thursday night. After that, the next episode of The Walking Dead is called We Are the End of the World. So uh, that's a cool title. If you want to do a title read for that, you have all week. Well, basically until next Tuesday to record that and send it in. And I love playing title reads from our listeners on the air. So 
uh, by all means do that. Fire us. Do you think they'll have a sing-along? Like, it's like we are the world, but we are the end of the world? You know, I hadn't considered the idea, but you never know. Bet you we get a title read like that. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I'd be really disappointed if we didn't now, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this podcast, everyone. We will see you uh, in a couple of days with the feedback episode. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.